Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Greg Koch here, and this is the Chewing the Gristle podcast. We have extemporaneous conversations with musical friends from all walks of life, genres, nostril circumferences, things of this nature. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. Can you dig it? You know, when you mention the name Andy Timmons to most guitar players, they poop a little. You know why? Because he's a proud prestidigitator of the plectrum-wielding skullduggerist order of the highest order. That was two orders in one title. Anyway, today we're going to sit down on Chewing the Gristle with the majestic Andy Timmons and talk about everything from Olivia Newton-John to rocking like a pagan of the warrior of the night with the band Danger Danger, or Danger Danger. Come Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have assembled once again. Mm, assembly. Yeah. Assembly, assembly required, apparently. I like this kind of talk, but I'm here with a majestic Chewing. human being mm. and stellar interplanetary axeman. Inter- interplanetary. <laughs> you see what I said there? Interplanetary, Terry. I'm terrified of the Tories. Right? Yes. Uh, yes. They're always wanting to keep things just the same. And we don't just want the it. same. We status want to quo. Am I right, Andy? Status Jones? quo. No way. <laughs> we did, let's shake it up. From beautiful Ooh. McKinney, Texas, as we speak, by that way is, of Evansville, Indiana, we have the majestic Andy Timmons. How the home- heck are you, my friend? I'm good, and you've done homework to find out where I hail from in the Midwest. Well, yeah. you know, I, too, of course, <laughs> am in a Midwesterner. You all Midwesterner. Indeed. You're not, you're not really Western, you're Eastern, you're just mid. You're Midwesterner. Well... My midsection is gaining <laughs> due to the I'm sporting COVID the COVID experience. The COVID-15, I know, I know. It's making I, me make bad choices. Ordinarily, well, I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> well, there is a stress-eating component to it all. Am I right? I can, yes, I relate to that uh, immensely. Yeah, well, One I of think the things so. that's been so disturbing about it is, is that I, uh, over the years, I've had a propensity for breakfast cereals. And if oh, push, push comes to shove, <laughs> I'm going to my friend, Captain Crunch. You know what I'm okay, saying? I love the crunch, okay, but the, the whole roof of the mouth thing. But last night, yeah. it was like a, I had a cinnamon crunch thing going. Oh. And you got the milk left. And before you know it, man, you're in danger of actually having opened the box for the first time and realizing you're going to eat the whole dang thing. So that's... All right. that, that can exactly. be a problem. This is well, so yeah, you, not you good. You pour the milk in the bowl, <laughs> and then you eat all the cereal, and you're like, that's a pretty hefty amount of milk left. I'm going to have to finish it off with you yet can't some waste. more cereal. We were taught not to waste. You, I would assume you, you know, don't, don't want to waste it. Exactly. Mm, mm. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, to, to have sugar cereal in the house was like yes. a, a once or twice a year thing. And we the had to wake up we, early to yeah. see who could get, get it. Yeah, and so how many, how many siblings did you have? I'm the youngest of seven. Okay, I'm the youngest of four, but I think in that way we we had some similar experience, and it was the same. We always had the bagged the bagged cereals, the you know puffed puffed wheat, puffed rice. Puffed wheat. Yep. It wasn't the. It was a puff puff. Both both of them made your pee smell like it's like almost <laughs> like the. It was almost like the the, the, the asparagus version of cereal exactly. for whatever reason. Why? What? What is that? No other cereal does that. What is no. I understand. I'm glad you guys tuned in. You're getting some very good uh, insight. Well, you know, you won't hear this in your normal. <laughs> You're not. Yes, pea smell due to bagged cereals with Greg and Andy. <laughs> you know, as you'd be surprised, you know, of course, when you're doing a live stream, it's like how many times... How many times do you get asked what kind of strings that you use? And my oh, son, yeah, yesterday, yeah, yeah. We, we finally had uh, fiber optic installed yesterday after three oh, nice. months of this 
this rigmarole. Mm. It took eight hours to install, and then yeah. two hours later, it didn't work. <laughs> so I was absolutely furious. He goes, Dad, uh. when you're doing the live stream tomorrow, any anytime someone <laughs> says, what kind of strings do you use? You just <laughs> AT&T sucks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it is good to get the 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 deeper bits, the 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 defining parts of our psyche and our upbringing that have formed us and shaped us the way we are. Yes. Well, let's lots talk of shaping. About your majestic. Well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of your guitar playing. You're just dude. You're just mm. so mm. well versed in so many things, so musical, and just such a great person as well. And it's just been uh, so cool to get to know you and be buddies with you over the years. And your career likewise. is magnificent. Uh, and kind. let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you got started playing actually in, in Danger Danger back in the day. And I've been seeing some pictures you've been posting. Yeah. It, <laughs> and it, it's wild because, well, of course, it, you had the glorious mane. <laughs> there was some hair. There might have been some Aussie scrunch or, you know, Aquanet involved. But I got to tell points. you a funny story. So, so yeah. a few years back, uh, I don't know how long ago, was maybe 15 years ago or so, uh-huh. I thought to myself, you know what would be funny? I like to do these little medleys out now and again. I thought, yeah. wouldn't it be funny to do a uh, surf version of mm. Donna Lee? You've so got to be kidding you know, me. I find a version of Donna Lee <laughs> in, in surf form by Andy Timmons, and it was so <laughs> unbelievable. That's insane. Not only was it played impeccably, but the tone was perfect. I was like, oh, I guess dude. I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> well, okay, well, well, back at you because I uh, – uh, I was listening to a radio broadcast the other day, and Stevie Wonder's Living in the City came on. Oh, yeah. And, and I was working on tunes. I was going to do a covers uh, gig on my, 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 I've been doing these live stream gigs, right? You yeah. guys are, you do lots of streaming. I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing in some, some ways to have this avenue to play. And so I had all these cover tunes, and I started to work on it. I said, you know what? I can't do this because I heard you do it. Isn't it funny how you hear somebody do a cover song and all of a sudden you realize, I kind of belong to that guy. Even though anybody can do a cover song, they have the right to do a cover song. You did a beautiful version. You were, you were doing the Fender Hang um, with our glorious mutual friend, Bill Comiskey. Oh, yeah. That's how, that's how I got to know about your playing back when you started, I guess, working with Fender on, right. in, so, in some capacity back in the 90s, maybe. Right, yep. Um, and, but you, you were, I think you were uh, playing through the, the new G-Deck or one, some new... Some one of those... Cyber Twin or whatever. But you did Cyber a version two. of that song, and, just, and it's, 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 a, it's such a beautiful tune, but it's all about that bridge. And I just remember you, you know, just having this beaming look on your face while you played it. Perfect. So I, I kind of did... And that's when, I, yeah. that's when I texted you. That's why I was thinking about you. I sent you a message of love just because I was thinking about, man, I remember that moment with Greg's like, I'm not going to do that song. It's <laughs> I, I associated with you just, and I don't know if you've played it ever since, or, or maybe it's in your set. I don't know, but it was such a great version. I literally have not done that tune since then, but we had worked that okay. up because uh, I always loved that song. Right. And Ray Riandau and that, and the drummer, Joe Morris, had been playing okay. that tune as a, uh, oh, in some okay. capacity. So they're like, hey, let's do that Stevie Wonder tune. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm all about it. So now, was it a vocal? It. Was it, this, I don't remember. Did somebody sing it that day? No, we just did we an did, instrumental that's version. What, that's, and that's what I remember. because, But again, that melody. Duh, 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 duh. Yeah. And the chord voicings, you know, and, yes. and uh, wondering if he might have checked out some Brian Wilson. Because there was some very Wilson-esque, that, that half-diminished chord. Oh, yeah. You know, resolving down that half step, that's a, that's a all over God only knows, you know. So I'm always wondering about the path of exactly uh, 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 of the writer and what they may have checked out subliminally or purposefully, you know, what led them to that. Because that was a pretty hip and unusual pop music 
hang. Obviously, Stevie had so much going on. I'm sure, not, exactly. I'm not saying, well, he ripped that off from Brian Wilson. I'm not inferring that at all. But I love that, you know, finding little bits of something, and but knowing that could have possibly come before, you know. From this I other, understand. That's the thing. I love that. Well, um, let me ask you this. You know what? Yeah. You had studied with a jazz guy when you were younger, correct? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 absolutely. So that was prior to, it wasn't like post-Danger Danger. This was before all of that. Yeah, there was kind of, Danger Danger is almost like a mid-period for me because I, okay. I was in my mid-20s when that happened, when I got that gig. But I had started playing professionally at the age of 13 in Evansville. I got in with some older guys and uh, was with the same band for about seven years. And it kind of morphed over time from a power trip. My first gig as a, as a guitarist was my own eighth grade graduation dance when I was 13. Uh -huh. Playing Rush, Nugent, and Kiss for a bunch of kids my age that probably couldn't care less about the music we were playing. It's they funny because that was my first gig too. No, you're kidding. Yes. Oh, dude. Well, there you go. So... It was, uh, you know, so I ended up in this band and, and then over that course of the seven years, we were one of the, you know, big fish in a small pond. We were like, you know, the local rock heroes and lots of airplay. We nearly got signed. You know, I was, I was a motivated, even though I was younger in the band, you know, I was the one hooking up with the local radio DJ and getting all the uh, A&R men numbers in New York and sending out tapes. And, you know, we, we it could have happened. We, it was a really good band with a unique sound. You know, um, so I was, you know, kind of shaped and formed as a rock, a good rock player at that time in my life. So we're talking your know, late teens, you know, right. early 20s. And yeah, through that being, I was gigging all the time. But, you know, I started studying when I was 16 with a local teacher, Ron Pritchett, who, you know, was big into Barney Kessel and Joe Pass and Oscar Peterson. And, and he was teaching me how to read, but then was showing me, you know, you know, changes to standards. So I was getting that influence and then took classical for a couple, my first couple of years of college and. So, yeah, so all that, I was in Miami for two years. I moved to Denton with some players, Ray Brinker and Steve Bailey, great. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Steve was, uh, he, was gigging, he was he was with Dizzy Gillespie at the time and Paquito de Rivera, and Ray was with Maynard Ferguson, but they wanted to form a rock trio, you know? <laughs> it's like the rock guys want to be hip jazzers and the jazz guys want to rock, right? So right. They, they found me in Miami. Steve was finishing his undergrad there, and uh, they found me, and we moved to Denton where they had gone to North Texas, which famous jazz school there. right. Anyway, so there's this path, and that band had a bit of a, a run for a couple of years. But then I formed the Andy Timmons band in 1988. And okay. the very first track we did was a song called It's Getting Better. And it was, you listen to it now, it ended up on my Ear Ecstasy, my first CD. And it's it's kind of a hodgepodge. It's a little Jeff Becky riff with some Vi. And there's what I thought was Ingve influence turned out was way more Tony McAlpine influence. I went ah. back. At, have you listened to Maximum Security lately? I have Andy? not. So it was a record that my roommate turned me on to in the mid-80s or whenever it was released. And damn, there's some amazing tones and playing on there. Um, but then there's a, like a breakdown where there's kind of a jazzy thing happening. So all that was happening before the Danger Danger gig. And uh, a story I haven't told an awful lot was that at the exact same time I had the offer to do Danger Danger, I had the offer to do Tower of Power. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, uh, Steve Grove was a tenor player in the band, and they were coming through Dallas, and their their guitar player was uh, leaving the band to go do Laura Brannigan's gig, which I guess, <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Not my favorite pop tune, but anyway. Uh, he was all over. She was all over Saturday Night Live at that time, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anyway. So he was taking, the, I guess, the bigger pop gig, and they came through and played uh, Dallas Alley, which used to be a big gig in Dallas, and... So I went out and bought, you know, What is Hip and Squib Cakes, and I got to sit in with the band that night, and it went awesome. great. It got to, you know, what a, what a, what a thrill. And, uh, but they offered me the gig at the time, but I just had this also, this offer from 
you know, the pop band, the, the, right. the, the, the lure of the rock and roll and the MTV, right? Right. And it's and one the, of those, yeah. Well, but possibly. yeah, I wish, yeah, I, I, I could have been, yeah. I think right. some, some folks in the organization did okay. The I, potential was there. I got, <laughs> what, I, what I did get, okay, I mean, that's one of those paths, who knows what would have happened either way, but, you know, my experience at that time, and I, it's probably similar for anybody of our generation, we just thought that that was the holy grail. Like right. a band signed to a major label, you know, I just, that was kind of part of it, but it's really, I just wanted to be on a record. You right. know, it was more about being that guy in the credits, you know, I wanted to be the Lukather Carlton, you know, guy, sure. right. You know, and I kind of geared my, my entire career prior to that dedicated to that because that was my, I thought that was my path. I thought that's how I'll do this. Cause in, from a small town in Indiana, when, you know, getting in a, 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 a band that was on a major label seemed like a long, it seemed like a lottery type situation where, sure. um, but you know, reading the guitar player magazine with Tedesco and all the guys and Luke at there and Carlton with the headphones on and they're, they're reading, they're playing the shit out of anything, right. you know, they get, so, but there it was, there was this chance. And again, some childhood fantasy, no doubt we toured opening for kiss and Alice Cooper and, but but the business end of it and seeing how the label was run and how the, the musician and the music was such a low priority, it was right. just easy to see through all the crap and go, okay. And then when it came to, we had made a third album for Epic and uh, it was right when the, the Seattle and rap thing had really taken over. And MTV was basically telling bands like us, don't even bother making a oh, video. We're not, we're, you know, we're not going to play it. Even right. though we'd had all these popular videos. Um but so they, but then they made it impossible for us to get the rights to the record. It's, they, they let us know they're not going to put it out. Oh. But then, like, you know, we need two hundred fifty grand to get your record back. So, why? Then I thought, why would I ever work so hard on something and it not belong to me? Right. You know, and I've seen you, you've gone down the same path because I remember Bill Comiskey sending me some of your CDs at that time, just doing it on your own, doing the music you wanted to do. And that was my takeaway. I'm not ever going to be involved in something a that's not exactly what I want to do. Not that I didn't. I had fun doing Danger Danger, but it wasn't my heart and soul. It was, I was a side man in a band that was, you know, chasing that Bon Jovi, Def Leppard thing. And they, sure. did a, they, they did it well, and it was fun. And, but that was, the takeaway was the education about, okay, now I know what I don't want, and I know a lot more about who I am, because I didn't know. You know, I wasn't really that, I've never been a horribly confident person. So, you know, I'd sent a tape to Relativity, because they had Joe and Steve, right? Mm -hmm. Say, well, we've already got Joe and Steve. I'm like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I'll take this Danger Danger gig, whatever. But I kept coming back. During that time, I would come back in between tours and I would record with my band. And that's so I kind of kept that fire going. So when the things in New York with Danger Danger fell apart, then I had this, okay, I've got my band. And, you know, and I had session work here. There was a, there was a decent session scene. So um, I got my foot in the door in New York, but again, you know. Less competition right. you hear from me, and I had my band, and this was, this was it felt more like home. Though I love New York, and I miss New York, and I love New Yorkers and be beautiful, beautiful folks and scene, you know. Right, of course. Yeah, but yeah. it's nice to have a, you know, uh, there's something about being in a, in a town that's not one of the big music. Well, first of all, it's just the cost of living for one. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no doubt, absolutely. And then the actual, uh, and the ability to, to gig around town and actually make money. Cause I you know people yeah. think, well, you know, you live in LA or Nashville mm, or New York. Right. It's like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I felt the same way you did in that. I just didn't want that feeling of competition. I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to just play what was in my heart and yeah, it's nice to, to have a gig and not have 57 million other people trying to do the same thing. Right. So maybe there was a comfort in that. 
the, the New York thing was, was convenient for me because I, I got to move up there, but I had a gig. It right. wasn't like, I'm going to go to New York and try to, right. you know, I've had friends do that. My buddy Keith Carlock just, just oh, moved yeah. up. He just moved up there, you know, and, and Lou Marini helped him get a gig with Grover Washington, and that was it. You know, and then start, and of course, you know, he plays with everybody now and has done so well, but it's, but he's a, he's a special player, you know? Sure. So whether that could have happened in, in my way, but I had a gig and I was able to live in, in the basement of the home where the keyboard player and his family lives. So it was, I had kind of a suburban hang in Queens and I had access to the train to go into Manhattan. So then I could go in and do the jam nights and, and, and all that when, when uh, we weren't on the road. Or did, there was a lot of Irish pubs I used to play all over, all over Queens with, uh, 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 Godfrey Townsend on guitar and uh, and my buddy Steve Murphy on drums and vocals. So yeah, we'd go to cover band gigs and it was a blast. But I had that comfort of like, well, at least I got the, the my my essentials are covered and I'm not scraping to to make it happen. But when it fell apart, it's like, okay, I think I'll go back to Texas where I'm more comfortable. You know, I'm trying to think of. I remember the first time I heard you was uh, Jack. Sh- Schwartz from Fender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, Donald played Jack, me a absolutely. tape of yours in the car, and I was like, "Whoa, uh, oh, that man. must have been uh, mid '90s ish." I'm thinking it could have been. Yeah, it might have been. I know yeah. he was a fan of that Pawn Kings record that I did, which was we called ourselves a blues band, but it was you know I'm I'm the least bluesy player I know, but we it was a good excuse to do your know, Booker T and and shuffles and whatever whatever came to mind, and we do some Gary Moore and some of my tunes. But I think he covered one of the tunes I wrote in, in his. He had a band with his son, I think, and he used to talk about how oh, we're doing some of your Pond King songs. Yes, right. I, yeah, anyway, his, his son James, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that period of time where his son James could sound just like Steve Perry, and oh, they would shoot. Wow, and they would. He had tapes of his son singing. He sounded great, but but we digress. That's a great, yeah, we do. We're going to digress a lot, but that's okay. Or digressal as the the case. If, be. As the case. <laughs> <be>. <laughs> You gonna finish that, by the way? Yeah, finish that gristle. I love the gristle. Pound that gristle in front of everybody. That's okay. That's right. There's nothing wrong. You with know, it. as the road gets crazier, if you can't pound your gristle, what, that's right. What are, gonna, what are you gonna do? It's not worth it. It's not, I don't want to live in a gristle-free world. That like <laughs> well, you know, one of the things. Well, there's many interesting things about your playing, but I think that there's, um, you know, you, you think of hard rock guys, and mm. and, and they kind of get pigeonholed and not no sure. small part because they uh i'm not saying they, they're like pigeons I'm, I'm like, they, you're, you're so much more well-versed than that you have this rootsy side and when you uh, know you, you denigrate your blues playing but i've heard you play yeah. blues you sound great because you got yeah, the feel and you understand sweet. the touch and all that kind of stuff so uh that's a, that's puts you in a very unique place and of course technically you just do things that are you know, <laughs> insane in the membrane and um I mean, everything from, you know, of course, the stuff that you've done on your solo records, but you did that Sergeant Pepper's records a couple of years ago. That yeah. thing was magnificent. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Just, I, you know, it, 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 I didn't take it lightly, and it, I, I bailed on it mentally many times before I got the courage to, to finish it and put it out. Because I'm such a, it's such hallowed ground, and I a lot of times don't really like cover versions. Sure. You know, um, but I'd gone down that I've gone down the path with the resolution record where I was starting to do things without overdubs and doing chord and melody together. Sure. And that and that was a part in my playing career where it made it exciting again, where I was getting just kind of burned. I would, just wasn't I wasn't as inspired as I would like to have been. You know, it was. And when we started that resolution record, I went in thinking, okay, I'll I'll improvise some solos, but I'll play some rhythm here and I'll, you know, do the overdubs later and we'll double this part. And, you know, the, the way things I had, I had done it and everybody else had done so, so many times. 
But it, as I've told the story, it was something that Vi had said to me because it was going to be on his favorite nation's label. There was a, oh, yeah. a, a previous release where he put together a best of my first couple records. Well, you were working with, with Steve too. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did a best of, he says, well, I want you to record four new tracks. And we did, and it was a tune called Falling Down. It was primarily just one guitar and bass and drums. And I, you know, turned the volume way down and get a nice, nice sound. And he just made an offhand comment. Oh, I like, I like it when I can hear the fingers on the frets. I like when it's just you. And that's, and that was that little nugget from my, my older brother. Maybe you can relate to that where, sure. you know, getting, getting any encouragement from my older brothers was like gold. It's like, oh, I'll take that, you know, cause it was... Uh, yeah, so that sent me on the path. That's when I made the decision, maybe I could do the whole Resolution record, relearn, reimagine the tunes, playing chord melody and, you know, just one guitar. Right. So, you know, so it, it encouraged me to, to be way more tone conscious, mm -hmm. you know, whereas before I would just kind of go in and, of course, I want a good sound, but I, I know I could rely on my engineer, Rob Wexler. He's going to make it sound good. I'll, you know, some of my early tracks were a freaking Zoom. It was, you know, they were meant to be demos. But I, no, yes, I so going through that process of, 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 of doing the resolution record like that without any overdubs, I couldn't have done the pepper thing the way that I did it had I not gone through that. And then I started writing material in that vein. And then it was, we were doing a version of Strawberry Fields on tour uh, with uh, Ricardo Capelli in Italy. You know, he's a. Ricardo. He's, yes, just a, a great guitar fan and, and started wondering why his favorite players weren't coming. He said, well, you, why don't you come to Italy? I said, well, book me a gig, you know, I'll, I'll right. show up just, you can plan it. And that's kind of how he got started doing what he was doing and still does. But we had done S strawberry fields on, on the gigs and he was going, man, ne next time you come back, you should do a night of Beatles. And I thought, man, there's no way I like this one song works great. But it kind of was that throwing down the, the gauntlet a little bit of that inspired me. Well, what if I did, you know, in my life or what if I did help? It became my hobby. You know, it was like, just mess around with arrangements and see what happens. So the next one that kind of came to the fingers was was Lucy, just because that, that beautiful, you know, arpeggio yeah, sure. keyboard line. And then and then one day it was like, well, what if I could do the whole Pepper record just for my own edification? I, again, it wasn't a, a thought of commerciality or I'm going to record this. It just was a, a fun thing, just the challenge of every day picking up the guitar, see what I could do. So it just kind of fell down the stairs that way, but... Once I got it to the point where I thought this is working, it was I was really proud of that. It took it took a couple of years of tweaking those arrangements just on the on the regular, just seeing what what I could incorporate just from the way that I hear the record in my head, because you can't do everything. You can't right. layer like they did. So you're just trying to pick the elements as it's going by. Is it the chicken or is it the guitar lick? Is it the vocal? You know, and trying right. to see if you and, and, and that was the, the thing without overdubs to see if I could, you know represent the tune in a linear fashion and it works without the band that was the cool thing because that I, I didn't do it with the band i was hearing the way mitch would play it right you know, mitch, the great mitch marine the drummer on that record and mike dane mike had the hardest p position to, to do because the hard parts because i was doing it mostly for really all from memory and so it wasn't always correct and so or i might he, i might need to for him to do something different than what paul did which is that's asking a lot because these some of the most iconic bass lines ever. Sure. So Mike would somehow have to take up the doom, do doom, do doom, do doom, do the sax line in Good Morning, where sure. the, ba the bass is doom, do doom, do doom, do doom, just hanging on the, the A chord. But I need the horn line, doom, do doom, do while I'm. So there was those compromises that I had to go, okay, Mike, you can't do what Paul did. I need you to do this. You know, but it, he did it so brilliantly. And it's a, I was really proud of those guys. That again, there's very few drummers that could have played that material with the joy of Ringo. Right. 
you know, and I've played with so many great drummers all over the world. And like, you know, we all cross paths with so many greats, but Ringo's a special thing that's not easily replicated. Right. People can kind of do, oh, I'm playing like Ringo. Well, not really. <laughs> it's like, there's well, a certain, there's there's a certain yeah. I saw this article. Someone, you know, of course, on Facebook, people are posting all manner of things. I've noticed as, as of recent, especially. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. But someone posted a, a Bill Evans. It's like Bill Evans talks about rock and roll. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. And and he was cool. You know, he wasn't yeah. like. The, he, the, but the way that he talked about it is like, you know, you know, the, with the subtlety of the beat of jazz, you know, it's easier for. And he said it artfully. It wasn't like yeah. this kind of jazz snob saying, well, sure. jazz guys can play rock, but rock guys mm. play jazz. Yeah. And the, and the thing that's, <clears throat> and he was much more subtle about it, but the people that yeah. were using the article to prove their oh. point was like, see, yeah. you know, uh, and, yeah. and that's one of the things is, is that to, to your point, it's like yeah. there's certain subtle things that happen oh. in rock and roll, certainly with uh, oh, Ring of Star, certainly yeah. with, uh, Charlie Watts. Oh boy. And not to mention all the classic, you know, sure. Various other different, you know, roots artists and so on and so yeah, forth. That yeah, yes, yeah. technically it's not really that um, you know, uh challenging from from that point of view, but getting that feel is in that sound. That's that's everything though, isn't it? I mean it's what he imbued in that music. If you put, you know, put any other sixties journal, put how I'm and I'm not disparaging Hal Blaine, who was right. probably the most recorded American drummer, but sure. that music would not have had the same vibe and joy. Not even close. I mean, you put, insert any other drummer. And that was the thing about Ringo is like so many bands were using session drummers. There's a guy named Bobby Graham who, do you know the name Bobby Graham? I don't. Okay. Well, he's, he's, he's the Hal Blaine of the UK. He was on Herman's Herman's Animals. Okay. Dare I say, dare I say uh, the Dave Clark five, because that's, that's a huge controversial thing. But I, I recognize the way a guy hits a snare drum, and you'll recognize once you start cueing in to the way this guy hit a drum. But he's on like Downtown and Release Me. I mean, every every British okay. major pop is like, you know, over a hundred top ten hits or something crazy. But um, you know, it it took a special drummer to be able to do these sessions. But Ringo, you know, out outside of the. Uh, you know, Andy White doing Love Me Do and Paul playing on a couple of tracks. You know, he's he's the guy. Right. We interrupt this gristle-infested conversation. We give a shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cox signature gristle-tone pickups. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Dig it all. We were just singing a little song, ladies and gentlemen. Weren't we? Yes, Weren't we, we do. There's nothing mm. wrong with that either. None of it. I think a little vocalese during the day is, uh, is you know, it's good for you, man. It's good for the soul. It is good for the soul. Not for so other people's talk, ears. Well, we man. could talk about any number of different things. We could talk could we? about Should the we? unlikely coupling of one Andy <laughs> Timmons with Olivia Newton-John. Ooh, I think it's a, a very good coupling myself. I, uh, I, I like the sound of it. Well, uh, you know, a buddy of mine that I knew years ago, <laughs> Doug Nelson, played with yeah. her. Did you know Dougie at all? I don't know Doug. So would, would I, that what must have been in her 80s heyday, or when yes, was that? Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Yeah, she, uh, okay, so it is kind of a, a wacky pairing. Now, I fell in love with Olivia circa 1973 when that Have You Never, Mel Have you Never Been Mellow track came out. Oh, oh my God. Her what a beautiful voice. voice. Angelic. It, 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 every girl in the class loved her, and so did I. 
Anyway, so I get, the, I'm in Austin doing a record with a woman named Sarah Hickman, who is just in, incredible, amazing. And I'm checking my messages v- remotely. I, did I have a cell phone? No, I was, call, I was calling my answering machine. Answering late, machine. Late 90s. Yeah, exactly. And it was Simon Phillips. He goes, Andy, do you fancy playing with Olivia Newton-John? Give me a call. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I call. So, I, so the, the deal was Olivia had breast cancer in the early 90s, and she survived, and uh, clearly. and um, did, But she re- retired at the time. She, you know, she just decided she was going to stay home in Australia and take care of her daughter and be with her family. But later in the 90s, she did a few gigs in Australia uh, with the John Farnham band. John Farnham is like the Springsteen of, of yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His band uh, backed her up, and she enjoyed it. You know, she'd been away for a while and decided she wanted to kind of get her toe back in the water. So they booked her a couple of months of dates in the U.S. But one, there was two guitar players, Stuart Frazier, rest in peace, my, my brother. But uh, Brett Garza, the other guitar player, you probably know Brett, and brilliant musician, um, couldn't do the gig for some reason. I think he had his own band going or... He wasn't going to come, so this Australian band and Olivia were coming, and so management just kind of put the feelers out, and she's managed by Fitzgerald Hartley. Of course, that's the longtime management of the Toto group who signed okay, was playing yeah. with. So they just kind of, within the ranks, said, hey, we need a guitar player. Who, who do you guys know? And Simon, he, he and I had worked together and did a lot of tours together, and he knew my work ethic, et cetera, so he just recommended me. And uh, little did I know that it would turn into a, a 15-year gig you know it was uh i and you know for, for the players out there i tell the story where you know it was the the md hadn't had much communication with me the music director you know i i don't even think i got a, a any music from him i got a board tape the week before the gig was to start and so it was a two 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 and a half hour show it was like like a really career spanning retrospective of her of her material but so i i before that i'd gone out and bought all the records and i was and i knew in my head i knew a lot of the songs just because they were such great you know so many hit songs um but i went in like and just had everything down and the first day of rehearsal you know it's we had an unbelievable three days of pre-production which these days you're lucky to get sound check (laughs) it's for your beginning of tour uh but so the first day the first run through you know I'm, i'm I'm on, man. I'm going to, I'm, you know, as I would, I would treat any gig as like it's the most important gig I'm going to sure. do. You know, it's like, that's just the way it, the music deserves it. You know, the other players deserve the respect. So it went well. And um, so I think that as the tour went on and, and it was obvious that she was digging it and might want to do it again, management saw that, well, this, this guy's got his act together. Maybe we could make him, you know, the music director and have a U.S. based group. So then I was able to. Ah to help piece together a band of some of their stable of guys and some, some of my Dallas friends. And yes, yeah, so that from then on, I was her guitarist and, and uh, music director. And it was, it was kind of perfect because she didn't work like a lot. It was like, you know, two and three months out of the year with in two, two and three week little, you know, sections. Sure. So it was great because it was a, you know, a nice, a nice source of income and allowing me to still do all the, all my own stuff and local sessions or whatever, but have my own, uh, have my own band and still work with Simon. So I was just kind of juggling all these things, but you know, I, it's one of those things where I wouldn't have done it if I didn't love her and the music right? and and, and the group of people that we had around her, you know, felt the same about it that I did. It's like, you know, just want to do the best for her. Of course it's a different gig than me, going and playing with Simon in, in 11, 16 or whatever, or my own okay. tunes where it's, it's all about me. But I've always enjoyed being that kind of player too, where it's like, what can I, how can I serve this you know, sure. for the greater good, right? And, you know, it's not about you. You might have your moment to shine here and there, but 
thoroughly enjoyable and it's a different set of chops. You know, I absolutely and I would proudly say that it's like it. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't easy in in that way. You know, it's to really to go from the, her early country stuff and she she does jazz standard stuff and rock and pop stuff. So it's fun, you know, as as a, as a fan of the, all the different genres to, to to be able to do that and pull that off. You know. Now let me ask you this. So. I was going to ask you about Simon Phillips. So how did you hook up with him originally? That was a Bill Comiskey thing. Um, Ah. Our our mutual friend who, before Fender, was with uh, Hoshino Ibanez. And uh, they were going to do a big, one of the big uh, Nam shindigs. It was called Axe Attack. And it was going to (laughs) be, look out, look out. (laughs) It was going to be Steve I and Satriani, um, Paul Gilbert, uh, Sean Lane, who was briefly an Ibanez guy, oh, Reb, Be- yeah. Reb Beach and Alex Skolnick, but they needed like a house band to back everybody up. So they'd ask Simon. They'd ask Gerald Veasley, bass player for Weather Report at the time, I think. And, uh, and Bill Comiskey Kim- knew me. I was in Danger Danger, but he knew all the other stuff that I was doing. Not, not a lot of people knew about the, the versatility and the, all the different things. So he thought I'd be the right guy. So, and that's how that, that came to be. So, but Simon's... Uh, terms for that show. So we'll, we'll learn all these songs, but I get to be able to play some of my material. So he'd already released a record called Protocol and something else called Force Majeure, doing his fusion-y kind right. of Jeff, Jeff Becky, but more proggy kind of stuff, right? And so I got to learn stuff to back up all these you know legendary guys and friends, but also learn Simon stuff, which was admittedly you know quite a bit more challenging than anything else in the set. Um, so then when he needed a, a player you know for a tour, God, it was, it was like five years later, you know, his normal guitar player, Ray, Ray Russell, did a record with him, but he couldn't do the tour, so called me up, you know. That was it. Same thing like same thing like Olivia's gig, where he just remembered that not only did I learn all the, the rhythm parts I needed to learn, but Satriani couldn't rehearse, so I just, I played you know, Satch's part. <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like, I mean, he saw clearly that I was going to do the work, you know, and I, right. you know, even though on that gig I did have, I was reading charts, just because there was a lot to retain, but, um, you know, do your do your best to just, you know, nail it as hard as you can, man. Because you just never know whether it's the local gig at the pub or or whatever. Right. You never know who else is going to be there who might remember that. Yeah, that guy was had his shit together. You know, exactly. And that, and that that was exactly that 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 circumstance too. So we did we did a couple tours in the late '90s, and then uh, we actually almost we 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 had, he came to the studio here, and and we wrote a bunch of stuff. Like there was a period where Toto was going you know on the edge of you know breaking up. You know, eventually he he's out of the band now, but. Maybe in the early 2000s, and so we thought we'd have we'd form a vocal group, and, and we wrote a bunch of cool stuff. It just never found the right singer. Then Toto got busy again. Uh, long story, but then we did some Protocol records, uh, Protocol Two and Protocol Three, and that was a lot of fun. Just because it's it's out of my wheelhouse, I would never write music like that. Sure, I love, I love playing it, and though it is you know sometimes too challenging for me. I, I do have to think a lot when I play some of those tunes. It's like, where's where's one? And what is this chord? He doesn't write with thirds a lot. So it's like, uh, we, call, we call them adult chords. It's like stacked fours over stacked. I don't know what to do. Uh, where's, my th- where's my third? Where's my whoopee? But it's good. But that's good for you. You know, you, it's good to be pushed like that, you know, to, to get out of your comfort zone. So that... Those are always great experiences for me, even though if I might be frustrated and think I suck. It's like, all right, I know I'm growing. I'm learning. <laughs> I, I like can to, dig it. I, I like to learn. So in this day and age, uh-huh. I mean, obviously yeah. pre, you know, pestilence. Yes. You know, I think it's interesting for people to 
know as far as like mm. blazing forth a career as a yeah. musician. Sure, sure. Uh, that you have to have all these different spigots and you, you can't lean on one too much yeah. because that might dry up and then you're left yeah. with your trousers yeah. down as it were. <laughs> and, uh, and it's always interesting to hear uh, people's different perspectives on that. Sure. And obviously, as you were just describing, you had Olivia and she'd do X amount of stuff, yeah. you know, throughout the yeah. year. Kind of depend on that. Okay, well, I know I'm set because I got that going. Yeah. And then, oh, Simon yeah. called, and so I know June and July are going to be good. And then I'm going <laughs> to exactly. do my tour. So, kind of walk us through as, as yeah, we're doing kind of leading up to COVID, what you're doing now, and sure. that kind of stuff. Happy to share all that stuff. It's it's been a really interesting career for me because it hasn't been necessarily normal. There's been lots of gigs I've either turned down or you know gone down paths that might have been not the usual. And a lot of times there wasn't specific thought about the financial or, you know, the, the, the living thing, but somehow it's, it's been a path that I've been able to keep the lights on, you know, but it certainly diversity has helped me a lot. It's, you know, by being able to plug in, that's, I mean, if you think about Olivia and Simon and danger, danger, I mean, these are pretty disparate, you know, things to do, but I did them all with the same love, man. And the same, the same passion, the same energy. And that's just, that's just the way I'm wired and it's, it, it works, you know, it's, it's, uh, so, but yeah, clearly these days, yeah, it's, it's, you know, making it, it, you know, it, it clearly as an instrumental guitarist is, uh, it would be challenging, I think for anybody, there's very few, I think that are making loads of money doing it, but it's more, you know, it's, it's, I'm very thankful that somehow along the way I've, I've, you know, garnered a bit of a fan base. Yes, absolutely. Kind of accidentally in some ways. A lot of it is, you know, with the with the advent of YouTube and people spreading videos that they like. And so much right. of it, or so much of it early on, had I had nothing to do with it. It was either a bootleg or a, a fan shot thing. But it's like so Elvis Costello said something in an interview years ago that really resonated with me in that, like, you just got to do what you really love to do. And, and, and someday at the bottom of the ocean, somebody's going to discover it. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if it's really something of value. It was this, you know, some analogy he was conjuring in his beautiful uh, lyrical speak. But, um, you know, I took heart in this. Like, you know, the, it, I just want to make the music I make. And somehow it's getting out there right. more and more. So there's the fan base. So... You know, these days, especially, um, I have a, a guitar instructional uh, website that I have yeah. called Guitar Experience, no E, guitarexperience.net. And I'm, I'm doing, you know, a song of the month and going through my entire catalog. And I've really, you know, at this stage found that I, I'm a good teacher, where teaching early on for me was, was always difficult to sit with somebody and go, you're a sweet child of mine, I'll see you next week. <laughs> that, that, that was never in my wheelhouse. And I didn't really, I didn't understand that I had a lot to offer, even when I might have had a lot to offer. But at this point in my life, now that I'm turning, I'll turn 57 in, uh, in July, there's, there's a set of experiences there. And, and I'm, you know, through work, working with True Fire initially, they had me come in and do some lessons. Thanks to Jeff McElane encouraging me to do so, mm-hmm. I felt like I'm I, I'm developing you know chops doing this, and I really enjoy it. So it's good, and I and because I'm I'm teaching myself, because I'm learning. I'm I'm having right. to explain things that you know exactly. we might we might have developed naturally through the years by lots of playing. Well, now I got to tell somebody what's going on here. So what's going on here? And so, and there's so many undeveloped little bits that I might've recorded that, wow, I wish I did had more of that, you know? Sure. So as I'm explaining it to the, to the potential student, um, you know, I'm getting so much out of it and it's kicking my butt because some stuff I, I'm actually going on YouTube and, and clicking on the song and you got the very speed option. If you don't know about that kids that right. you can go into the settings and you can slow it down. So I'm slowing down my own stuff on YouTube. Right. Like, what the hell was that? I can't, and stuff, some stuff I can't figure out that's, you know, 
if I, because especially earlier stuff where I, I now will allow myself to compose a solo if I think it's proper to do so. And so I'll be happy with it. But the, the earlier stuff that you go back, it's, it's all improvising. Right, exactly. It might have happened once, and how the hell did I'm, you must have that experience because you're doing some wackadaisical things on that guitar. Um, so, yeah, I th so there, there's that. There's uh, some wonderful associations with some of the gear companies, you know, um, where I've had the, and I know you've got some gear too that has your name on it. So to be able to collaborate, especially like with the, some of the pedal companies and right. my friend Josh over at JHS and the, the Exotic guys and Carl Martin, various and sundry, G&I down in Brazil, to have uh, some gear that you can, you know, have some input on and really fine tune it and then making it available, you know, so there's some, some income there from royalties sure. from some of that stuff. And, um, I don't know, what am I leaving out? Yeah. The, obviously, you know, that some session now I'm, I'm able to do remotely where I was, I always kind of drug my feet with the technology is I'd like being in a room with people. Yeah. You I, know? I like yep. to have the engineer there. Cause if, if I'm left to my own devices, I'll, I'll get it done, but it's not easy. You know, so, but through this, this, this time of COVID, I've, I've been doing some, you know, jingle sessions and stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll do it. And I'm getting it done and it's fun. So it, and, and the live stream gigs have been the most beneficial thing of all. And it was, sure. uh, it was a fluke thing when, when the lockdown happened and we lost all our gigs, you know, I had, right. I was supposed to go to the UK and Europe with my band and well, we got to stay home. Okay. But I, this, I had this buddy of mine is in a band called Bowling for Soup. You heard, heard uh, these guys? Yeah. yeah. Well, that might be a, a name you would like. Yeah, bowling for Soup, Jarrett Reddick is a, is a Facebook friend of mine. I kept seeing him posting about these, these stage it gigs, right? And he was, you know, do live streaming. So I just hit him up and said, man, can you show me the ropes? And he showed me the ropes. And, and it would always say, you know, 2 p.m. slash 8 p.m. I'm like, he's doing two a day. This is great. Right, that's, that's what I'll do. I'll do two a day. That's what, so since Mar the end of March, I've been doing two every Saturday at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m., right? Well, it turns out he was, he was saying, yeah, 2 p.m. U.S., you know, Central, and 8 p.m. U.K. because he got a lot of fans in it. <laughs> So oh, I got so that's he was doing one gig, but through the beauty of my complete naivete and misunderstanding, I've been I doubled my gigs. Right, <laughs> kick my butt because I was making each of them different. But so that's and then that that the the technology curve on that one, you know, getting the sound right, getting the lights right, getting the you yeah. know the all the visual stuff. It's it's uh, not in my natural wheelhouse, but I have a neighbor, Rob Wexler, who is an incredible. Electric violinist and my, he was my engineer on all the early records. Oh, uh, and he's and, a neighbor. That's he he lives literally, little, literally two doors down. So he and he's doing some streaming too. He's got an incredible one man uh, show that he does with a, a variety of uh, you know mandolin and violin and oud and sitars. It's incredible. But he's always like the smartest guy that I know and knows all. So he'll come down, kind of teach me what what he's doing. He's got me hooked up with Ableton, which I wish I had been using for clinics all these years because I got a MIDI foot switch. And I, you can edit exactly when a track starts and you get it all, you know, all the, all the mastering kind of done within the thing. So, you know, with all your clinics over the years, did you use like a, your iPad or? Yeah, you know, you know, for, it, was, it was CDs for the longest Dude, dude I had time. CDs. I, I would have to have three or four because some yeah, you never knew when they weren't going to work. They weren't going to work. So now to have this, this foot pedal set up with, I can scroll through the tunes and I can hit a button and it starts exactly when I need it. Not like point and then hope it starts. And, you know. Right. So it's, that's how I'm doing the shows, right? And that's been a cool thing because it's, uh, and people really appreciate it, especially early on before, you know, when people really were staying home right. as they, as they should have, you know, it gave people sort of look forward to, and, right. you know, I, I, I love it because I had a gig and a way to play. And then and people come on and on that platform, you know, they can chat and make comments and, sure. 
and they're and they're and they're chatting throughout the whole freaking gig. They, you know, right. it's like I'm 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 the a little bit of the catalyst to get it going. But it's the only gig where you're not pissed off that everybody's chatting. You're like, because exactly. they're, they're having a ball. They're just you know they're chatting about the music. They're talking to each other. And it's this supportive thing. So. I felt really fortunate to have that. It's not, it's, and it's a lot of the same people come to every gig. It's sure, like, there's, sure. there's this collection of folks that know each other now. And right. Anyway, so that's, you know, it's, it's all iron, the, all irons in the fire, like you say, just to, to figure out how to, how to keep it going. But, you know, it just kind of seems to get better and better over, over time somehow. Well, what's interesting is, is that yeah. I've, I've heard some people say, um, who have figured out, how to make you know, these live streams meaningful and fun yeah. to do and, and sure. profitable, you know, they're yeah. like, I don't know if I'll ever tour as much anymore. This, <laughs> this is... <laughs> well, I, I, I will say it's, I, I, I have to be honest and say, it's not that I haven't had that thought. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier says, it's going to be harder to get me to leave home now. It's like, right. But no, I mean, there's nothing like the energy and you know, this too, in the best gigs are those small clubs where everybody's just freaking packed you know, it's right. the gills, but you know, it's going to be a while before that's safe. So absolutely. You know, I'm, and when I was talking, I was talking about Jared again from uh, Bowling for Soup, you know, he says, yeah, I've been doing this since 2009. So he's had this, he's had this additional income just like he could do it backstage before, or after a gig, chat, play, you know, acoustic guitar or whatever, just, but to have that, the ability that we have, the, the, the world is at our doorstep and, and, you know, why not be able to have that interaction, you know? Right, but right, your right. your your freaking live streams are just freaking brilliant. Every time that I <laughs> run across and click on your thing, it's like it's so apparent. Now there's we all know that there's no greatest player in the world, but there, these thoughts go through your head, and I was like, yeah, Scott Henderson, he's like the baddest dude out there. Like Jeff Beck, there's nobody better than Jeff Beck. But you're one of those guys where you know I, I listen to you play, and the the ability and the amount of stuff that you can traverse so authentically makes me go, yeah, great. He's just the baddest dude out there. It's like, ah, damn, damn. He's just, you know, sweet, and, but well, no, but it's, it, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's such a cool thing to watch how your career has grown too in that it's that Elvis Costello thing with both of us in a way we've just, we've been doing what we've been doing for a really long time, exactly. but we've stuck to it. And there's a certain integrity that you have and a certain joy that you have that, that people just really love to be around, you know, just, uh, in addition to this incredible amount of musicianship that you have and are able to do just anything, but damn, it's the way you're doing it and the vibe you put out and how important oh, is that man. now, now more than ever, man, to have that kind of beauty, you know, it's given people the good stuff that we need now more than ever. So I'm um, just my way of going back at you, dude, oh, well, <laughs> cause you know, it's, it's, you know, it's great I, to I've see always, that. I've yeah. always enjoyed doing, you know, the live streams and the, and the, uh, I mean, even prior to this and, and, yeah. um, you know, and just the video, I mean, I just like playing guitar, you know how it is. Dude, just, absolutely. Like yeah. Playing. And, and then <laughs> exactly. you know, people want to know what you're doing. Hey, check this out. You can do yeah. this. And, you know, you come up, you just can't wait to kind of like, yeah. it's just the joy of playing and, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm all, I'm all about it. So when they said, Hey, oh, you got to stay home and. <laughs> You got to do videos at your house and you can't go yeah. anywhere except to the grocery store. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, for some of us, li life's not that much different. We're just not leaving right. town. I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, again, talking with a friend earlier, I was like, I kind of feel bad that I enjoyed the time because my family was stuck with me. You know, yeah. my, my wife, only she works three days a week, but still it's like she was stuck at home. Alex couldn't go to school. You know, he's had to do his stuff online. So even if the we're in different parts Alex, of it, even if you're in different, he's 16. Wow. So, yeah, I know. And, and he's about, he's going to be your height, man. He's taller than me already. 
Um, so but even though for different, it's, it just feels different when pe- everybody's home, you know? Yeah. So there was, there was a kind of a reset vibe to that and getting in touch with, you know, spending more time. We have a, a smallish backyard. We have a backyard and I, one of my greatest joys is just filling the bird feeder a little bit every day and putting fresh water in the bird bath and just waiting for the squirrels and the birds to come. And I put carrots out for the bunnies every, every dusk. Yes. Know, every, and it's just, it's, I, I don't know. The air got clearer. It's like, man, there's some beauty here, you know, and yes. in, the, in the face of all the, the obvious horrible things and suffering that, that were going on. It was nice to just kind of hit that reset button and go, oh, this the important stuff, the family, nature, you know, what can we do, you know. Exactly. To, to help elsewhere, obviously, we want, we want to do our part to do the best we can for the world and how it's suffering. Um, but, yeah, it was nice to experience that in some ways. Yes. You know? I've got, I've got all four kids home again. Oh, man, right on. So it's, uh, and my wife's yeah. working upstairs. She's, she's okay. in the attic. And oh man, this I'm is Seth Meyers. Yeah. My daughters, one's working from home, one's going from school from home, okay. summer school for college. Yeah. And oh. then my other son just finished up. Um, he's 16 also. He just finished wow. up his uh, okay. sophomore year. Yep. Yeah. And then he Same. plays sax. So he's oh, going wow. to be doing uh, this jazz camp that'll start next week. And then, of wow. course, Dylan is home, and we do our live streams four times a week. So good. And there he is now. I saw him. There was, was, was a Dylan sighting. I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> but he looked he look a little blurry. I can't tell. You know? Yes. It could have been a Sasquatch. <laughs> it could have been a Sasquatchian thing, but I don't But uh, we're all home. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's a crazy time. And uh, yeah. right now, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, there's, there's gigs in the fall. I've got this right. thing in the fall. And the guy's like, I yeah. think it's going to happen. I'm like, I don't <laughs> so dude it's, it's not looking great i know i'm the same way they rebooked my april for september i'm like i hope so but yeah well my wife makes a good point she's like yeah what happens if like everything's set to go you've purchased your tickets and like two yeah. days before you go there's like a massive uptick and yeah. everyone's like everyone shuts it down again or worse yet you you're get over, over there. there yeah and they over shut there. it down and then a lot of stories of that yeah that's that's very scary and uh so, yeah but mm. Mm. It's strange times. It is strange, strange times. Time. But, you know, as, as to your other point, I'm very yeah. grateful to the, having the ability to be able to work from home. Yes. We uh, and it's, it is blessed. a drag that, if, you know, I had a bunch of tours booked as well. And sure, they all got canceled sure. and all that yep. kind of stuff. But uh, the fact that uh, because of these different yeah. abilities to uh, have ways to generate loot hmm. Yeah, and it's, home, and, it's le- and it's leading to some, like you say, we're, we're you know, for me, for sure, a lot of us are learning new skills that we didn't have before and collaborating, you know, I'm getting all kinds of tracks from friends like, hey, would you do, like I said, we've got the, the flying V's out for a Judas Priest cover. It's like, right. I wouldn't have been doing that, but I, this is a blast, you know. We were yeah, talking about the, the, the awkwardness of the awkwardness of the V and how hard it is to get the final exactly. right strap placement. <laughs> I had to find I, I typed in Paul Stanley flying V. Where did he put the strap? Because initially it comes on the, the tip of the wing and then it just hangs right. just like you're, I don't know what it just like this, this is not cool. This feels horrible. But then, so then there was a whole chat board somewhere with like, well, here's these three other positions you can try right, on the, you can put on underneath, underneath about. So I chose right. just smack dab in the middle and by gosh, if it didn't work great. So you'll, you'll, you'll see me out there playing Living After Midnight real soon. 
out the real nights. Yeah, I, Dallas. I, I tried it. I tried it with the leather jacket on, but just I couldn't. I couldn't pull that off. But the flea, the, the flea, the, the flying flea, the, yeah, the flying, flying v, the flying flea. Exactly. <laughs> the first flying V I ever saw was the cover of the um, the Kinks' greatest hits record on the lovely reprise oh, yeah. record label. Exactly. And that's Bobby. Gra- that's that's Bobby Graham on every one of those tracks. By the way, ah, interesting. Da, 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 da. And old Slim ah. Jim Page was supposed to be on a few of those. those he is things. on a couple of those, but it's but it is definitely Dave Davies on. That does that on, solo on, yeah. on, on you? You really got me. That's been corroborated by Ray and and Bobby Graham. Yeah. So type in Bobby Graham, folks that are a fan of great drumming, and you, you'll be you'll be very pissed off that you did not know this name because he's one of the greatest drummers ever, and he's no longer with us. But I got to I got to know him. Um, with the with the beauty of the internet, um, I found this website because again I was convinced that he's the guy on these records, but I'm not hearing any credit. I dug and dug and dug, and there, there was this interview that Steve Smith had done with Clem Catini, who was the guy from uh, the Tornadoes, Telstar. Okay. Uh, Brian Bennett from the Shadows, and this other guy, Bobby Graham. Who's Bobby Graham? And all through this, you know, they're talking about the sessions they had done. And they said Bobby's likely the most recorded, along with with uh, Clem Catini. But yeah, likely the guy on the Dave Clark Five records. Thought, That's it. And I found his website and tucked in. There was legal stuff, and he couldn't he couldn't mention that it's him on the records, right? Oh. And so, but then I found this, and it was a, there was an email. And I said, Bobby, I can't believe I'm only finding you now after a lifetime of thinking you're the greatest drummer in the world. But I, I'm so happy to find you. Then I started getting these calls a week later from Antigua. I'm like, what? What is this? But it was just a number that was. But he was in the oh, he was sure. in bat he was in the UK he was in the bat it was just le- logging through there, and we developed this phone friendship and we talked you know for hours and at the end of our first conversation I said, Bobby have you seen Standing in the Shadows of Motown? I'm sure you've seen that film about the uh, the, oh, the, Mo- the, the Motown. I said Bobby this is your story you know you need to check this out next so I'm going to send it to you the next time we talk says don't bother sending it mate I I saw it I was in tears you know uh, it's the, it's the, it's this thing where there's so many uncredited amazing musicians that have given us such value and joy in our life so anyway we really had a bond and I was going to try to get him to come over to the states but it just never worked out and he unfortunately passed away but but you really got me till the end of the day tired of waiting listen to that drum sound I think we'll listen to any way you want it bits and pieces glad all over and listen to that snare sound you'll start to recognize it it's crazy, isn't it? It's in, yeah, it's it's amazing. I love him so much. Wild, yeah. Wild. You're a fan. You're a fan of the music. Uh, I like is, to get inside, like under the hood, man. Yes, you know? I can dig it. You can it's dig amazing it. Amazing the different different ways that we hyper focus on things, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, uh, and and again, we, how lucky we are to have this in our life. I mean, right. there's there's some people that maybe don't have a hobby or a passion. As as us guitar players and music fans have, it's it, right. You know, it's well. That's it's, one of the things about the internet too, isn't it? It's that yeah. That, I mean, you could be reading any biography now or autobiography, yes, sure, or sure. and they'll make these obscure references, and then you just go <laughs> yeah. right online. Yeah, and you can and find you're it. able to find all this information, and then find further ancillary stuff on YouTube, and then still yeah. live stream. People are going, "What kind of strings do you use?" And you're like, <laughs> if "There was a device." If there was a device where I've said this a thousand other times, uh, yes, if only there was something. But I, you know, there was. But pre all that, there was a, a certain joy of the hunt. There oh, was absolutely. A, there was a, Steve Lukather in a 1982 Guitar World magazine interview. It was mentioned that there was a live CD with him at the Baked Potato called Super Spud, Greg Matheson, Picaro. Right. I looked for that that record and then CD for years. I was like, okay, I'm, I finally went to Japan for the first time in 1990. 
I'm in every record store. I'm going to find Japan's the place. Couldn't find it. I finally found it in Ear, at Ear Ecstasy, my brother's record store in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> but it was, the, it was the thing like, now you just go on the internet. Okay. Instant gratification. But there was a thrill of, you know, you had to read sure. the book. You had to read the album credits, you know? So, but I, yeah. And now it's like, okay, it's in my back pocket. I even wait now to, before I Shazam, I've got to figure out who is this. This is, there was someone on the radio earlier today, and I thought, I think it's level 42. I wasn't sure. Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> we, now we got the Shazam backup. We can, we can name that exactly. tune is not nearly as fun as it used to be. But, but it's interesting because folks will say, you know, it's too easy now. And you're like, well, uh, you, still, you still got the, you still have to put the time in. Well the, play, well, the playing thing, that, that right. is it. It's overwhelming because the entire wealth of information in the world is in your back pocket. Right. You know, and I'm sure I, I, there was a there was a student I had when I got back into doing a little local teaching. When my friend at the Guitar Sanctuary, George Fuller, opened up his store, and yes, hey, would you come? Glorious place. Would you, you? Would you? That's right. We have played there together. You, yes. You know? So I did. I was. I taught for a little while there before I started doing the online thing. And, and one of the first guys to come in, you know, had the stack. Of, he brought in the stack of books. You know, all the he'd gone through the online Berkeley course and like all oh, the scales, yeah. all this stuff. And I was like, well, let's just you know, okay, let's. Let's just play A minor to G to F. Let's just see where you are. He didn't know what to do. You know, right. he'd, he'd gotten all this information, but had no application or basis for, you know, how, what to do with it, right? And so that's the first thing I'll tell people. It's like, don't be so overwhelmed by all this stuff because, you know, you, you just need the little simple things on a regular basis to, to get, you know, to, right. to get that traction, right, and, and to keep going. So... You know, but yeah, the nothing, there's no shortcuts aside from, yeah, you can have the guy show you, but you know, you know, darn well too, that we had the benefit of having to earn it. You know, we didn't have, there was no books or videos. There was a record player. And if you're lucky to see a neighbor play a chord that you didn't know or whatever. Right. But it was that, it was, and it's that connection with the ear and the hands. That's the most valuable. But yeah, dude, I, I watched everybody's videos and I'm, I'm learning licks that way too. So it's, you know, I, I get the fun and the ease of that. Right. But you know when you can earn it in a, in in, in, the, in the old fashioned way too. It, it, I, I'm I'm confident that it, it it ingrains in a much deeper fashion. You know, you know. Isn't it when you discover someone that is like an older you know jazz or blues person yeah. or rock person that for whatever reason never right. crossed your path and all of a sudden all the like, time someone, someone goes, you, "What do you mean you haven't heard of this guy?" And sure, exactly. Like, like oh my god. And then you then the quest begins anew. <laughs> no, I like and that and that is the beauty. There's so much. There's so much great stuff waiting, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm more like that. I mean, there's, there's, there's modern guys that come along that you're like, oh man, this is amazing. But it's always kind of, it's always fun going back. You know, for yes. me, it was only in the last couple of years that the Django was on my radar. Right, 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 right. When I was a kid, it wasn't electric. It wasn't, though he did play electric you know, a little later in his career. You know, it was the, stuff, that, the, the bootlegs of him playing with the Duke Ellington band. That's some cool stuff. That is a cool thing because yeah, he actually can't, did some gigs in the states. Yeah, there, there's one. There's one live track called Impromptu. Yes, you can find li Impromptu live, and it's it sounds like Stern and Brian yeah. May. It's got because he's he, he's got the electric. It's cranked up, and it's, and it's, it's starting it's, to give a little dude, bit. Dude, it's it's this, this breaking up and these unison with the horns. And this is like Brian May and Mike Stern, nineteen fifty-three right. or whatever it was. Like, so so him. He's, I always think of that. He's been behind me the whole time, Andy. When you right. are ready, I am here, you know. Right. <laughs> and so, and it, obviously, there's been such a resurgence of interest in his his playing, and so many great, uh, so many great players. You know, your oh, show, absolutely. And uh, who's the guy, Jimmy? Oh, okay, he's, he kind of lost it for a little while there. Anyway, uh, 
there's so many uh, great inspiring uh, players and that whole style, which I'll never do, you know, proficiently. But man, there's so much beauty there to, to learn. Yeah, there is absolutely. It's always that going backwards, man. I don't know. It, you know, I love the I love his squirrely little vibrato. You know it is. I mean? It's a very different thing. Yeah, but beautiful. you hear it. You hear it in Les Paul's playing. Yes, you know, because that was hey, Jenga was a big guy. Uh, uh, for Les Paul, and apparently there was a meeting where, like, when he when when Django came to New York, I guess for the Ellington gig, right? He sh- he showed up somewhere where Les was backstage playing, and you know, it, hey, somebody yelled, "Hey, Django Reinhardt's here!" to say, "Yeah, yeah, well, tell him to bring me a case of beer too." You know, <laughs> like he had, he did, there's no way Django Reinhardt is here, right? But there he was, right? Exactly. Anyway, uh, but yeah, what a marvelous and just and the story of his hand getting burned when he was nineteen and having to do all that with just the two the two right. fingers and then the formed, you know, happily that he could play the ninth chords, I guess, with the uh, right the middle finger, the ring finger, and the pinky to that were fused together. It's it's insane. It's just insane. But uh, anyway, just to give us joy and love and, and frustration of like I'll never be able to do that. But man, that's awesome. <laughs> it is glorious. <laughs> it is glorious. Has there been what's been the more recent guy for you to go back and check out? Has there been anybody to come along that you hadn't you hadn't had that that connection well, with? But as of late, um, I'm trying. Well, like to not. I got him into him a few years ago, but I was just mm. listening to some uh, just some old Mel Brown stuff. Are you familiar with Mel? I Brown? I don't know Mel. Here we go. Yay! Uh, he had a record back in the day uh, called Chicken Fat, and then he played with Bobby nice. Bland for a while. Okay, and, cool. And, um, he wow. actually uh, ran the uh, Antones House Band for a while. Back okay. Then. And sure. then he ended up going to uh, Canada. Some rich guy in Canada came down and like hired the band to move to Kitchener or something uh, up wow. in Canada. And, and that's yeah. where he lived the remainder of his life. And that blues wow. festival that's up there was inspired by Mel Brown. Wow. Anyway, so okay. he, he was a cool player because he had, um, you know, played like 175s and Birdlands and stuff, but he was cool. a blues guy, but with, j- with a little bit of that a little jazz thrown in as well. You know what I mean? Nice, nice, and, nice. And so his, that record chicken fat has uh, Herb Ellis actually playing rhythm guitar on it. So what and, year was that? Well, what year was chicken fat? I want to say early seventies, late sixties. Okay, wow, wow. So it's kind of metersy. It's kind of me. It's kind of a metersy vibe. Ooh, ooh nice. You'll yeah, dig yeah, it. Yeah. See, Mel Brown. Oh, I'll check that out. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, the the big hollow body, but but broken up and and you know that that early recording of of Robin Ford with uh, Jimmy, oh, with Jimmy Witherspoon. Witherspoon. That yeah. that record, man, that lived with me for a long time, and that tone. I mean, just. And the vo- and the vocabulary was 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 you know was there already. He had, right. It was great blues, but he was you know he was nailing those changes in a way that was. I mean, I'll never know. forget when I was when I was a, a young in in high school. I played a telly just because that was the Fender guitar that was available to me. It wasn't like I yeah. didn't look at you know it was like okay, oh, here it is. Uh, yeah. But I remember I, I every time BB King was on Johnny mm. Carson, I would yeah. wait up and I uh. on my with my VHS and I was going to record it. <laughs> nice. And one time. Uh, Martin Mull was the guest host and yeah. B.B. King was on and he says to B.B., do you mind if I jam with you? And yeah, because he played, Martin played. Yeah, that's right. right. And so Martin plugged, he had a Birdland into like a deluxe or something like nice. that. And it was, I, I'll never forget, it was like the greatest tone I'd ever heard. So I've always- From had, Martin? Yeah. Wow. And I've always loved, you know, the neck pickup on the arch toppy thing that's getting Ooh. a little bit of gas. Sounds so- nah. <laughs> I want to hear Martin Mullen with the, through that. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm tr- I, I need to, I think I found it on, on YouTube. Someone had posted it. But, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Is he as good as George Goebbels? Well, I don't know about <laughs> that. <laughs> well, listen, 
What? Andy Timmons, so much fun hanging with you. As Not enough you, time. Well, Not enough time. Spending some time with us and uh, you, telling some thank stories. You. I really appreciate it. Uh-huh. People go, it's andytimmons.com, I would imagine. There's one of those. Check yeah. it out. Check yeah. all of his stuff out. Come hang. And uh, hope to see you again soon, my friend, in the person. In the person, so in the, person, in the flesh, in the, in the gristle flesh. That's right. Well, thanks so much, <laughs> my friend. Great to see you. Take Great to see you, too. Yourself, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, man. Adios. Adios, amigos.